If you have your Bibles, won't you please open up to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. We're going to be continuing where we left off last week. But as you turn there, um, I just need to bring you some family news. Uh, Carmen Carenza, who is a regular at the 8, she's been struggling with lung cancer for um, just over a year and a half. And uh, she's close to glory now. Uh, so she, uh, she could be going home to Jesus at any minute. And so I'm just going to pray for her and lead us as a congregation uh, in committing them to the Lord. Um, she has uh, been an amazing testimony of faithfulness to Christ and holding to her Savior through some very uh, tumultuous months. And uh, um, she's going home. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes with me this morning as we commit the family to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this unshakable salvation. Lord, in these moments, we see its value. And Lord, it is unsurpassed to be in Christ. To look at the valley of the shadow of death and to say, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff will comfort me even through that rite of passage to going home. And we thank you, Lord, for Carmen's testimony of her faith in Christ. And Lord, for her life that you have given to us here at SBC, the side of the grave. But Lord, she's only just getting home a little bit ahead of us here today. And so, Lord, we pray in her final moments, might she know an ever-increasing sense of your presence and glory. That she might really, God, hear the call clearly of the one who's bringing her home. We pray for her, Lord, in these final hours, you would bring great peace and great relief from pain. And Lord, for the family, as they watch Carmen pass into the next life, I pray that, God, they would be amazingly comforted by the wonder of knowing the power of Christ to save and the promise of eternal life for all that come to him and put their trust in him. And we pray, God, for that testimony to be in their heart and that experience to grow. Those in her family who know Christ and those who are not yet there, we ask, would Carmen's faith be a resounding testimony to the ones that are close to her and love her? We also pray for her two beautiful boys, Lord, that are young, for James and Carter. We pray for your hand upon their life. And we ask that, God, as we entrust them to you as a family, we would continue, God, to see your abundant goodness flow, Lord, so generously to these boys, to the changes that they are going to be facing in the future. Lord, we pray, would you keep them close to Christ? We ask this in your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. It's fitting, I think, and a tribute to Carmen's own faith this morning that we get to open up with commending her to the Lord. Because this morning, I'm going to be preaching on something that is really quite profound. And unless you are interested in it, <laughs> it's for any of those who are interested here this morning, it is a life-changing message. And I'm preaching on this morning, in Christ, I'm qualified for reward. And uh, I want to remind you in this series, what we are talking about here in the series is called In Christ I Am. We are talking about the greatest thing that can happen to a person. And this week, being alongside Carmen at her bedside, 
and seeing the incredible evidence of quiet, childlike faith and the power it brings in our greatest hour of need, I can say with even more confidence this morning, for a person to come to faith in Christ, it is the greatest thing that can happen. And I'm going to take just again to say, my friends, this morning, do you know the value of what Jesus has done for you? It is more important than the color of paint on your house or the size of your car or where your retirement fund is going. My friends, today, the greatest thing that can happen to a person is to come to salvation in Christ, to be transferred from an entirely different kingdom, from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, to be born again on the inside, to have a new home, a new citizenship, a new nature, a new power, new promises, new government, new king, new laws. These are the things that happen to a person who comes to Christ. And this is the point of us being a church, is we offer as a lampstand the light of the world, and his name is Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to come to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, with big hearts and stretched minds, as we see what Paul is saying here this morning. So let's read together from verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you Philippians have revived your concern for me. This is Paul celebrating this gift that he's received from them. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You hadn't heard from them for some time, and he was relieved that, again, they had renewed his con their concern for him as their leader. Verse 11, but not that I'm speaking of being in need. He doesn't want them to think he's begging for their money or is beholden to them. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wow. This is a man sitting in chains, waiting execution. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And this is the secret. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. He wants to say thank you. And then he recalls how wonderful their work for the Lord has been. In verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And again in verse 7, he says, Not that I seek the gift. He's not being greedy here. He's not trying to manipulate them. Ah, he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Or another way to translate that is to say, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. Hmm. I have received full payment and more. He's letting them know. He's content. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Oh, and here it is in verse 19. And my God, Philippians, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. 
glorious. And for those of you who join us today, I want to explain to you how we got to this place of coming to this topic today in Christ, I'm qualified for reward, is we started off by saying, what happens to you when you come to faith in Jesus is you get adopted. 1 John chapter, John chapter 1 verse 12 to 13 says, when you come to faith in Christ, you are given the legal rights to call God Father and God signs a legal binding oath that you are his son or daughter. Wow. The second is, it's a logical conclusion. In Christ, I am loved. In other words, when we receive God as Father, we receive a perfect Father. 100% perfect in love. Perfect in character. And how great that love is. God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? I had to ask myself the question, I don't know if I live like that. At the eight, as I was preaching, God the Father equates the same value that Jesus is to him, he equates to you. Jealous, protective. And that is why last week we can say, Paul can say, in Christ, I am content. Because Paul has learned that everything that has come into his life, no matter what the season, whether it is plenty or whether it is lean, whatever is coming into his life is coming under the sovereign hand of a Father in heaven who loves him. Now, it didn't happen. It didn't start off that way. Paul had to learn this. It was a reality, and it is for you. I ask you today, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is sovereign over everything and you are dignified to pray. We'll look at that next month. We are to pray and ask God, but my friend, He's sovereign. He controls the answer. And I say to you this morning, do you believe that whatever is coming into your life right now is sovereignly controlled by His hand? Paul says it's the truth and he had to learn it. And he learned it like this. He said through these seasons of leanness and these seasons of abundance, whatever God asked me to do, God gave him the strength to do it. It proved true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he said, this is what he learns. No matter what, my friend, God is asking of you today, and he might be asking you, to go to another country, he might be asking you to stay, or he might be saying nothing. Whatever it is that God is saying to you right now, the amazing thing Paul learned was, whatever the ask is, God was faithful to supply. He could do all things. Regardless of the season, through Christ, through strength. Even now, he was going to finish well through execution, and he was going home. Now, in summary, I'm taking my time because we are living in stressful times. We really are South Africans, and the world is no different. But in summary, what is contentment? Contentment in the Christian life is being willing to be content with the leadership of God over your life. That's it is you are willing to let his yes be yes and his no be no. 
you are content to let him take the lead. And David discovered it in Psalm 23 verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's totally content. The Lord is going to shepherd his life. And he was totally content with that. Whether that was in a season of abundance, where there was green pastures and still waters, he said, I trust him. Whether it was through being brought low in need, the valley of the shadow of death, I trust his leadership. Whether it was in the presence of the enemies that he had to eat, where there was opposition and struggle and really a lot of pain in social relationships, he said, even there, I trust him. God's leadership on my life, I trust 100%. I don't want any other shepherd over me. Can you say that this morning? If he asks you to stay in South Africa, can you say that? If he asks you to go, can you say that? If you are waiting on the Lord for the answer, are you satisfied with that? My friend, today, you must become like Paul as a Christian. You must believe that God's no is as good as his yes. He is at work all the time in your life, shaping everything the good, the bad, the ugly, for your good. I tell you what, it is the greatest way to live. Last night, Carmen could face death and say, I am at peace. She trusts that the Lord is sovereignly calling her home. Can you be like that today? You see, because the reason why I want to tackle this this morning is that way of living, it qualifies you. It qualifies you for Is something happening behind me. Oh, shame, Chanel. Never mind. <laughs> Chanel's mother. It qualifies you for reward. I think they heard that. You can put it off. <laughs> Paul said this, godliness with contentment brings great gain. What is he talking about there? He's saying, if you will accept the Lord's leadership of your life, in other words, you will say, I will trust him and obey, regardless of what he asks of my life, I will be devoted to him as my shepherd. Paul says, you're entering the big league. As a Christian, you are setting yourself up for great reward. And my friends today, what I want to preach on, it is the most glorious thing that everything we do in this life, it matters to God, and he loves to remember it in the next. And it's linked to our being adopted in Christ. I want to point out to you today, where does this issue of reward come from? It comes from us being called children of God. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8? He says, don't you know? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We're up for inheritance. Ah, but there's a provisor. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. That's why I say in Christ you're qualified for reward, but it's not guaranteed you'll get it. Because you must be willing to partake in the same training that Christ had in order to share in the same glory he had. And let me tell you, his training was a cross. It was looking and saying, for the joy of the reward on the other side, I rejoice. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The training was awful. It was painful at times. It was not something he would want to do again. Oh, he despised the shame. Therefore, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's the honor. That's what he was after. He was honor that comes from God. He wanted the honor that comes from God only. And so, 
I want to say, you qualify for this by nature of being called a child of God. Whether you get it or not, it's up to you. It's up to you this morning. And I want to say, this inheritance is also known as reward. It has different terms. Oh, but it is something too marvelous almost to describe. And we are not talking about in this reward your basic salvation. I want to be very clear this morning. Your salvation in Christ, the moment you came to faith in Christ, God gave you Christ's righteousness as a gift. I hope you rejoice in that a lot. I do. It is totally, 100%, scandalously free. Great cost to God, offered by grace to you. You are dignified with absolute security in the kingdom of heaven. This is not what God has already given you, which is salvation. It's not what you are going to do with it. That's the thing. What will you do with this great gift? How will you work this salvation out into your life? How is it going to shape your relationships, the things in your hand, your money, your talents, your time, everything that God has given you by sheer grace? Remember, it's all His anyway. Everything that you have received in Christ. Oh, my friend, how you move it forward in your life, how seriously you take it, how much you prize it. Oh, it has eternal echoing consequences of glory. Wow. And this is why Paul comes in. It comes in this text of Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 to 20. And I wanted to launch off it. He says, guys, thank you so much for your gift. I really do appreciate it. And I want to, I want to just quickly commend you for your work in the Lord. You were the only church that financially supported me when I first came over from that uh, from Troas. I saw that Macedonian man. I came over into Greece, and Paul started preaching in Philippi, and they were the first church, I think if I remember correctly, he planted in Macedonia, and they supported him through all of his ministry endeavors, even to Thessalonica, and he talks about all of the grace that God had done through this Philippian church, had given to these other cities that were planted. And then he says this, I don't want you to think that I'm talking about this because I'm greedy. He doesn't want these guys to be, feel manipulated. And you can do that. You can try and twist the person's arm to give. He says, I'm not interested in that. What's thrilling? And by the way, he says, I'm going to die anyway. You want to give your money to me? Well, that's not a really good investment because I'm going to pass into the next life anyway. So if you think that this is somehow going to beat your credit because you're pleasing me, it doesn't mean anything. Paul is a superb pastor. What is exciting, Paul is saying, these evidence of fruitfulness in your life, of being alive to Jesus, is seen in your giving because as you have given me this gift of being concerned for my well-being, you are proving that you are moving forward in your kingdom-mindedness and love for Jesus. Your generosity, my friends, Philippians, are proof that you are lining yourself up for rewards. And he uses that phrase, it is accruing to your account. Bank account heaven. Where, the way that you are operating as a church and individually in your love for Jesus and desire to see his kingdom move forward with your material stuff is starting to accrue for you a weight of glory. That's what's exciting, Paul, is these guys are on track with God. Oh, and along the same, along the, for the same things for you this morning. And I want to point out to you I can imagine, I've been in church for my whole life. I know how church works. I can imagine the leader of the Philippian church going, okay, everybody, Paul's stuck in jail. He's in need. Paul didn't ask for it. He didn't make a big fanfare about it. He didn't manipulate anyone. Okay, let's give. And let me tell you, those churches in the New Testament, they were poor. Most of them were slaves. 
And I can imagine if it was me sitting there, I'd be going, oh, oh, okay, what have I got in my pocket? Oh, I've got a, two, a, few, a few coppers here. Just think about it. Every time a slave gave to the work of God, they were delaying their own freedom. Buying their own freedom. I go, oh, this isn't it. Look at Jesus. Look what he's done. Look at our leader that has given me Christ. How can I with? And they put their two copper coins. I don't think it was a lot of money for the Philippian church. I don't think it had a lot of money. <laughs> and Paul receives this gift. He says, Philippians, don't you know what you've just done? He said, it's gone up as a memorial to God. God has looked from heaven. It has been a pleasing fragrance offering. Your sacrifice to God has been rewarded with great pleasure. And you know, giving is quite an ordinary thing. But yeah, you see these Philippians being honored by God. And I want to say to you this morning, church, Paul is saying the same to you. The very ordinary things of life that you do for Jesus, the things that nobody really sees or knows or, or ever applauds or understands, don't minimize that because, my friend, it is coming up as a memorial to God that God loves to reward. And Paul can see this. And he said, guys, you're doing well. Your bank balance of honor is growing. And on that day when you stand before Jesus... You're standing in line for a while then. And, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it. I mean, as a preacher, Paul is just so audacious. Where on earth does he get the gumption to say that there is such a thing that above our salvation, God still wants to give us more? That there is this heavenly bank account system of honor. He's only quoting Jesus' words. And I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 with me this morning. He's only saying what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It's so powerful, these words that Jesus says. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Ah, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It will shape your whole perspective. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How dangerous is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon, which is money and possessions. Friends, I want to say to you as Christians today, please hear me now. This is very important. You only have two areas in which you can invest. Two realms. Earth and heaven. Done. And what you choose, what you choose will have massive consequences for your life. And I want to start off by saying we are very forgetful of this reality of heaven. Are we not? Jesus has to remind us again and again, and, and I want to say I've preached on reward quite a bit last year. I'm going to preach on it again today because we have to be reminded of the massive spiritual reality your life is caught up in. And the scripture is very clear about the order of things. This life, my friend, it is secondary to what is coming in terms of glory and value. And the risk is this, is that we can live our lives as if 
this is all that there is. And the life after, yeah, we know about it. We never think about it. We never ask the question of what that really means for me. We kind of know we're going to go to heaven, but we never go further than that. We make everything about heaven on earth, this side of the world. And we make this life, this as being everything. When Jesus is saying, guys, don't you know, this is just the foyer. It's actually the afdaki on the steps getting into the foyer. Don't you know the next life is going to be like a banquet hall that no eye can see the end of? Width and depth is that that invitation of what Christ has given you, that citizenship card, that ID card that when you walk into the door, saved, is going to bring you into the most glorious, eternal trappings of splendor and celebration that your mind could not even think of trying to comprehend. Ah, but you see, the danger is we get it the wrong way around. We think this is all that there is. The next life, it's kind of there. Ah, oh, but this is more important. And Jesus says, if that's the way you think as a Christian, you're done for. You're done for. It will lead to spiritual ruin. And if we are to live, and we are to live in a right relationship with this world, our faith has relevance to this world. If we're going to live in a right relationship, we have to have that priority set. I ask you this morning, is that your priority? Do you know what is of more value, heaven or earth? That's where it starts, my friend. Because the weight on what you put, whether it is the earth or whether it is going to determine how you invest. And Paul is concerned, along with Jesus, that we invest in the wrong place. It is a real danger. He wants us to invest in the right place. We are to see ourselves, church, as foreigners and exiles in this world. We don't know how much time we've got left. I ask you, Jonathan Edwards said, he woke up, he made a New Year's resolution. He said, every day, I'm going to live as though it's my last. I sat looking at Carmen. I said to her, you know what? Christ might come before you even get taken home through the natural death of your body. I might see her next week Friday. Let me tell you, we think we've got so much time in the bank. I want to say to you now, my friend, the wisdom of understanding the transient nature of this life is true wisdom from God. It will start to get you thinking, building, prioritizing what really matters. Now, I want to point out again, in this text of Jesus, the security of the believer's salvation. Jesus takes the salvation of his, you mean he's talking to disciples, it's a Sermon on the Mount, those who have come to faith in Jesus, he takes it for granted they're going to get to heaven. Did you notice that when we read it? He says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor, nor, nor thieves break in and steal. The reason why he can say, you're laying it up right there now, is because you're going to go there to receive it. It's being kept safe for you because you are being kept safe in Christ, my friend. Praise God. It's not a question of whether or not I'm going to make it to heaven in Christ. The question is, how gloriously do you want to enter it? Because it's waiting for those that will take it seriously. And I want to say this is not so for the unbeliever today. I have to say this. We have a bad habit I don't know if it's a, a weird new age teaching or, or how it's kept in, but we have a habit of saying we are all children of God by nature of our nature. We are not all children of God. In fact, what John chapter 1, verse 12 says, only those who've come to faith in Christ have the right to be called children of God. And so your spiritual reality, my friend, if you are not right with Jesus this morning, and it is the most important thing you will hear in your entire life, 
is that your only option currently is that this is the banquet hall. What's coming next is disaster. You can feast in this life, I want to say to you. You can have all the applause in this life that you like. But if you aren't ready for the next, your destination is not heaven, it is hell. Eternal separation, eternal eternal suffering. I cannot, I don't even want to paint it. I just want to ask you the question today. Are you right with Jesus? Because there is a third option, and that is only those who come to Christ. Heaven's on offer to you today. It is not automatic. It's for those who will submit, submit the knee and say, Christ is my only hope, who repent of their sin and come to faith in Jesus. So I want to point out to you, that's where you must start this morning. Are you confident? Can you say, in Christ alone, my hope is found? God is not interested in your good works. This is the, the greatest problem we have as pastors. When people come and speak to us, is we'll ask them, what is your hope of going to heaven? And they'll say, you know, I do good works. We, we think that the system of accrual works for the unbeliever. It doesn't. It's only for the believer. God will not honor anything outside of Christ. You hear me this morning? It's so important. God will honor everything in Christ. And I'll tell you why. Are you in Christ? The way is open for you, but you must come. Now, I want to, my next point is this, is not just the security of the believer, but the point is that Paul says the nature of a Christian is somebody who is highly motivated. I hope you see that. That this person who's a Christian is to be gripped with a goal. Is to, when you're in their presence, this is my, I'm preaching to myself here, don't feel bad. Is that when you're in their presence, they are obsessed. They are obsessed about the reality of the spiritual nature of this world. Where they are going, what they're lining up for, what God is saying. They want to be in line for glory. I ask you, is that you this morning? Are you motivated in your faith or are you just existing? Paul says, if you understand what Christ is saying, is you understand you've got a limited period of time and you're going to make the most of it. And I fear that that is the problem with lukewarmness, is there's a sort of, I, I, I'm in, but I'm not really in. I, I'm kind of, I'm in this Christ thing, and you are, but later. But Paul is addressing these Philippians and commending them for their zeal. And it is the same for Jesus. Any person who understands this, any Christian, any follower of Christ, understands that they are to be characterized by a high level of motivation. I ask you, do people know what you're about? I have to ask myself that question. Do people know when they come into my prayer, do they know what I'm about? Because the person who understands it, they know. They know. And I want to point out to you, that is why Paul is saying, I mean, Jesus is saying, what you're gripped by is called treasure. This thing of laying up treasure, it's talking about what is valuable to us. Jesus is not talking about not ever having a retirement annuity or accruing capital. No, no, that's stewardship. That's commended in the Bible. The difference is if that becomes idolatry. Is if this money becomes so controlling in your life and you're so obsessed about, oh, let me tell you, the retirement annuities and the, the, the next house and the renovations and all of these things. If you are preoccupied in your daydreaming and your ambitions and your affections and all of the mental space that you have, if you are preoccupied with those things, oh dear, we are aligning ourselves for loss. Treasure is what's emphasized here. What is of great value to you? I'll tell you how you know today. Ask yourself the question. 
What do I really treasure in this life? It is where you spend your money. It is where you spend your time. And it's what you think about the most. What is that for you right now? I've got a few things. And Jesus says this. If those things are not orientated towards heaven, we are guaranteed of loss. Now, you might be asking the question, and I hope you are, why is there this need for reward? I mean, surely just being grateful to Jesus should be enough for me to want to live a holy life for him. It's not. And why can I say that? It's because Jesus himself lived by this code of reward. He knew that he was only going to get to the right end of the Father if he achieved what the Father wanted him to do. And that was to suffer. And that's why Paul, I mean, Jesus had to start early in his, temp- his, his ministry. Remember that temptation in the wilderness? Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut to glory. I will make the nations worship you. I will offer you, make the stone into bread, immediate gratification. All of those temptations are saying to Jesus, trump the training, Jesus. I'll give you what you really want. And Jesus wanted the glory, the glory of the Father and the promise of the Father, the inheritance of the nations. And, and, and Satan was offering a warped, wicked promise, a deception to Jesus. And Jesus had to face that before even his ministry. He had to say, the only way I'm going to get what the Father wants to give me is if I do it his way. Don't be more spiritual than Jesus, my friend. If you will embrace this wonderful thing of knowing God loves to dignify your participation in the kingdom, it will make everything you do have meaning. That's the point. The Father wants you to know that everything you do for Him, it is dignified with His great pleasure and approval, and it matters to Him. And the point of this whole text is Jesus saying over and over again, don't, it's all ordinary. Let me tell you, money is a very ordinary thing. Jesus says in this chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of how you live your life, because everything that you are doing is being watched by God. And when you are doing it for him, and let it please be for him, he says, don't do it for other people. That's what the Pharisees do. They were a bunch of hypocrites, and they got the reward. When they got the applause, they got what they're looking for. When you are trained by the applause of heaven, you're willing to do anything in secret. As you give to the needy in secret, the Father will reward. As you pray, I tell you, I can't wait to pray. Next, I can't wait. I can't wait to pray. I can't wait to preach and pray next month. Every time you are committed to coming to God in prayer in secret, when no one's applauding you, it's easy to pray in public because everybody's waiting for you to pray, and there's a sense of I've got to do this right now. But when nobody's around you and you start to pray and you intercede for a person who never knows about it, my friend, God is watching from heaven and He's saying, "Well done. I am going to remember this to your credit." It changes everything. I'm asking myself the question more and more in my life. What matters to God right now? Am I doing it? And I say to you, we don't know what this honor is. It's a bit of a mystery. We do know that it will be revealed on the day, 1 John 3 verse 2. But the other thing is we know a few things. We've got some hints. The first is this, is we know it is going to be public honor. The person who gets reward is going to be publicly, and I mean public, and I don't mean like, oh, well done, Pierre Weber, this morning, everybody claps at the eight, that's so good. From the first Adam to the final baby, they're going to be there, and they're going to know what you did for Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 5 is very clear. Jesus gives, an, uh, gives a clue here in, the clear, in terms of what it is. He says, you will be called great, called publicly, honored as great in the kingdom if you are willing to do the will of your master. You will hear and all will hear with you. Well done. It will also be a visible glory. I don't quite understand this, but some will shine more in glory than others. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Paul says, look up at the sky. My little girl does it all the time to me. She when she sees the moon. There's the moon, Dad. And I look up and I go, ah, oh, remember. Remember this as there's the sun who shines in one degree of glory. And the moon and the morning star. And then all the stars. And only the little stars that you can see when the lights are, are off. He says, so it will be on the day of the resurrection. And don't you ever wonder about why Jesus says this? Oh, no, it's Paul. Sorry, he says, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Any of you ever thought about that verse? What he's saying is this is, right now, I want you to listen, look at me, this is important. Right now, how you are living your life, you are being changed by one degree of glory to the next. And the degree to which you reach will be reflected on that day of glory. Some of you don't believe me. I'll tell you this. It will be more wonderful than your wildest dreams. What is the one thing you want, to, want God to give you this side of life? What's your greatest prayer? I tell you, my friend, that day will more than surpass your greatest desire and longing of what you could possibly ask for God this side of the grave. And you might say, well, that's rather selfish, Matt. And it's a good question. You say, well, this sounds a lot about me. Isn't it supposed to be Jesus when I get to go? Oh, it will be. And I'm jealous for you this morning as I am awakened to it in my own life. My friend, who do you think gets the glory for how far you go in Jesus? Christ! The further you go, the more honor he gets for getting you there. And oh, the one who treasures his salvation, the one who truly sees it as the greatest gift, that Christ is the priceless prize. You cannot be compared to anything in this world. The one who lives for Jesus, submits to Jesus, casts himself or herself upon Jesus. Oh, when they reach glory, I tell you what, Christ will get all the honor for all that was accomplished through the salvation he gave. And the risk is this, is Hebrews 6 is that if we do nothing with what God has given us, it says we are displaying Christ to contempt. In contempt, we are saying all that he, given, he has done for us and given us. When we get to heaven, if we do nothing with it, it will lead to the contempt of Christ, not his glory, because we did nothing with what was so precious and given to us so freely. He gets no glory for no advancement. He gets all the glory for all the advancement. And your decision of how you're going to respond to Jesus today will determine on that day how much glory you bring Christ. It will be honor for looking more like Jesus. Everything that people see in you that is of Christ will be glorified on that day. And Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 says, On that day, whatever crown you receive, that crown of glory, that reward, is you will cast it at his feet, and it will lead to honor.
Does that matter to you today? You see, what's at stake is much bigger than the sort of aches and pains of the soul. The sort of just getting by. No, my friend. You're on track for glory. And the real danger is what are we currently being motivated by? You see, the easiest thing in the world, and you're looking at a man who has often fallen into it, and again, through the preparation of the sermon, I had to repent and say, Lord, I see this in my own life. Is that we are motivated by the treasure in this world, and, and the reason is we have to amass the right amount of money to get what we really want. That's where money comes in. Some of you say, I don't really care much about money. You will if it starts to touch the things. If things start to be taken from your life that money gives you, I'll tell you how much you love money. I've seen it in my own life. And I'll tell you, this is what we are obsessed with as Christians, the kind of house we have, the kind of clothes we have, the kind of car we have, the kind of holidays we want to go on, even the kind of circle of friends we want to move in, what kind of gadgets we have. And I want to tell you, Facebook is no help. When you look at Facebook, my friend, it was such a good term, she calls it Facebook boasting. So I'm going to go to America and I'm going to do some Facebook boasting. <laughs> ah! Can I say to you today, none of these things are wrong in and of themselves. Please don't misunderstand me. But the problem is, if these things are controlling us, if these things are what's on our mind and the hearts, if these things are what we are spending our money and, and, and obsessed about, all these things ultimately do come down to money. And each culture has their different systems of evaluating importance. But what Jesus is saying is, the things of this world that we value, what Jesus calls treasure, we must be so careful. Because if that's what we're motivated by, it will lead to loss. It will. Being controlled by these pursuits, or the pursuit of these things, ultimately means that we experience what Jesus talks about the insecurity of whatever we amass this side of the grave. Don't you think it's amazing that the South African rand, how it devalues? I don't know if you follow the markets. I tell you, currency and money devalues. I saw a picture outside of Spa once where there was, I think it was 1960, you could buy a mini, and I think by that said it was 2000 for what would cost a pair of running shoes. <laughs> Our cars rust. I saw a rust mark on my car this year. I'm devastated. It's done for. Our things get stolen. Our clothes wear out and go out of fashion. I tell you, we moved, I think it was to Cove Rock. Um, I think it was, or it was either Sunny Ridge when we went across the ridge. You know, moths only go for the nice clothes because that's the high fabric quality that they feed off. All our nice clothes got eaten by moths. The Mr. Price polyester they weren't interested in because they can't eat it. What is that? Moral of the story, yes. Bye, bye Mr. Price. <laughs> we can't take it down with us when we die. I'm sorry. I said to my dad, he better make sure he doesn't spend his money too much because he's not going to get it when he dies. I'm going to get it. Ah. But you see today, and this is what I want to stress, 
is the real opportunity for you and me with the time we have left. Is I want you, like Paul wanted the Philippians, to say you are running well. You are running well. This day is coming. And you are running in such a way that there is honor being accrued to your accounts. You are in line for glory. And Michael Eaton puts it so well. He says, there is really only one thing that is worth being treasured to us and worthy of our daydreams. I love it. Worthy of our ambitions. Worthy to get excited about. And that is our relationship to God. That is what should capture our hearts. That is the way to live. Anything less will bring cynicism. Oh, I know that. Slow deterioration in the things of God and loss of heavenly rewards. And friends, our faithfulness to Jesus is achieving for us something that cannot be described. And we are to think about it, dream about it. Do you have permission in Christ to be ready for it, to live for it? It is to become obsessed with the what is waiting on the other side and to be ready to receive it in Christ. Don't forfeit this for what does not last, because my final point is this as I wrap up today. Is how we choose to invest affects our ability to see clearly in this life. How you choose to invest affects our ability to see things, will affect your ability to see things clearly in this life. Don't you think it's interesting? Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of lights. Oh, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if in the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How devastating. How catastrophic. And this is what I want to leave you with today, is where is your gaze fixed, my friend? Paul says, if it is fixed on heaven, that you're going home, that this life is not all that there is, but all that you do in it counts in the next, and you're wanting God's well done. You have fixed your eyes on glory. You'll be the kind of person who can see straight in this life. You will have 20-20 vision when other people are all flopping around. I have to ask myself the question. I think that's a bit like me. Oh, look at the news. Oh, look at the church. Oh, look at the government. Oh, look at the world. All these things that come, and we all tend to fall to pieces. The one who understands this is not home. He stays the course. He's steadfast. He knows where he's going. Paul says, be shakable, immovable. Always busy with the work of the Lord. That is the kind of person who understands where the weight of glory lies. It's not what we can amass in this life. It is faithfulness that will get accrued to us in the next. And my friend, I want you to have that kind of vision for your life. I don't want to see your life wasted. I don't want my life to be wasted. I want to see you to be the kind of people that sees this world for what it is. We've got to live in it. It does not own us. It does not control us. It does not define our allegiance to Jesus. And I want to say to you today, the reason why this matters is if you lose sight of glory, my friend, and you lower your sights on earth, it will kill you spiritually. This blindness that God is talking about, this bad eye, it is a slow progression into blindness. 
and you can move when you take your eyes off glory onto this earth, you become increasingly blind. And what you could see, that you could leap over obstacles and see things clearly for what they were and make decisions around the things that matter, what begins to happen to the Christian is they get slower and more and more they deteriorate. Their eyesight begins to deteriorate. They can't see so well. They trip over things. They fall into pits. They are not equipped to cope with what the world is offering and attempting the Christian into. I'll tell you, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 to 10 should shake us when, when Paul says to Timothy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The reason why this matters today, friends, I don't want you to be neutral to this message. You cannot. You cannot. Because I want to say to you today, don't be so confident that the Lord's leadership on your life is always going to be. You see what we tend to do, and I've done it. All the Lord knows I've done it, is you put off what he's telling you. You see the light. You see what God, maybe God is putting something on your heart to say, my boy, my girl, come now. I want you to see things as they really are, and I want you to run the race well. That's what a good father does. He helps us to see where we can find grace to grow. But the problem is this, is we think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll put it off. Oh, that scripture was good. It spoke to me in that moment. But I'll deal with it another day. And what happens is, you think you will remember and will have the same light and clarity of mind in the moment. But my friend, it is very likely that moment will pass and you will forget. And your spiritual quality will become more and more and more one of blindness. Now, why do I say that? It's because I want to help you this morning to fix your eyes on what truly matters. I want you to run well. I want you to be like Paul that can say, I have run my race. I have finished it. I'm up for the prize. No one can run your race for you. Your mom can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Oh, I want to tell you, you're in danger. If your spouse has to drag you everywhere in the hope that somehow you'll catch some sort of flame, you're in, you're in danger. I want to say this, if you are the one that needs God to step into your life and shake you with some terrible pain, it is not some sort of compliment to your level of spirituality. The harder God has to hit you to get your attention, I'm not saying that in terms of, uh, he has to grip you to get your attention, the lower the spiritual state is. Now, I'm not saying that that isn't the grace of God and you should celebrate it. I'm saying you must take that seriously. Don't think that if God has brought a crisis into your life that has brought you to Christ, that he will just keep rescuing you until the next one. You must be so trained to know where your reward is that when the Spirit whispers, that's the glory of Moses. There could be, it was Moses. When, when God passed over the rock, he asked, show me your glory. He went into the cleft. That's right. There was a hurricane. There was a whirlwind. Oh, but Moses was so in tune with God. When he whispered, he knew it was God's presence. Because what did Moses say? Show me your glory. His delight was in the Lord. He said, Hebrews 
tells us, Hebrews 11, I think it is, says, Moses forsook the fleeting pleasures of sin so that he might have a better reward. I ask you today, my friend, how precious is this qualification for you? If this doesn't matter to you, then that's between you and the Lord. I would argue that you're not in a good spiritual space. You're not. But if you can see, if you can go, Lord, you are speaking to me. It doesn't matter how terrible you come from. It doesn't matter what failure you've had. It doesn't matter what, rela- it does not matter. Paul says, forgetting what is behind, pressing to what's ahead. Today I ask you, can you hear, can you hear the call of heaven? Can you hear Christ coming to you with eternal wisdom saying, be careful how you invest because I want you to invest well so that what you get to enjoy is eternal, not last after a short period of time. Is Christ wants you to get glory. And today I ask you, if you want it, it's on offer. I always love to close with the story of Samson. Don't you remember Samson? What a mess. Oh my word. He had such promises on his life and didn't he make such a failure? <laughs> ah, but in his last moment, he achieved God's purpose for his life. I watched Carmen finish well. And I say to you, you might be in the pillars going, I'm at the end. What can God do with my life? He can give you enough time to achieve just what he wants you to do for him. Don't let other people define that for you. You decide. You decide. Lay hold of the time that God has graciously given you to finish the race. Let's pray. I want to encourage, I just sense there's some here that are in the midst of deep, deep trial. It's almost like the Garden of Gethsemane where you are being faced. There is such pressure. Jesus experienced such pressure. Oh, and, and some of us are under huge pressure at the moment. And you are sitting at a crossroads where you are going, God, this cup, it is too much. Is there any other way? And I just feel the Lord is wanting to encourage you this morning to say the trial is not a sign that you are outside of his will. It's that you're in the midst of it. And that the cup he's asking you to drink, the thing he's asking you to walk through, it is being held by the hand of your Father. And Father, I pray for strength today for some here to say, Lord, not my will, Father, not my will, but your will be done. A submission to a life that forsakes the comfort of the flesh for the glory of Christ's leadership. Father, I pray that we would know the joy of how gracious you are. You said not even a cup of water would be forgotten. That, Lord, we wouldn't have to think that we'd have to do all these amazing big things. No, no. Is that, Lord, you love faithful commitment to your honor and glory. And I pray today we would leave this place never the same again. That we would sense the joy and weight of what's awaiting us and that it would cause us to think clearly to see this world as it is and to line up for glory in jesus name amen